The following sermon was delivered by Pastor Frank Griffith at Calvary Community Church in Brentwood, California. You'll find more information at calvarytruth.org. I'd like you to turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 5, if you would, please. This is a passage of Scripture that can really get to you. It has to me. It's very convicting. What it's about is God's first priority. And his first priority is honoring his son. That's something that you probably know already if you've just read the Bible because it's all over the place. This is what this passage is about. Because that's a real struggle in some people's life. They can't figure out why the father blesses his son so much and pours grace upon him so much. This is his first priority is to honor his son. And so he does it right before our eyes. Let me read to you. We're going to look at verses 19 through 23 of John 5. Listen to these words. Therefore, Jesus answered. Well, let me go back on one verse. For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his Father, making himself equal with God. Therefore, Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. Something he sees the Father doing. I'll explain that in a second. For whenever the, the father do, whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. And the Father will show him greater works than these, so that you will marvel. You will marvel at what Christ has done for us. Uh, for just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom he wishes. That That is different than anybody else has ever talked about that uh, has the ability to raise the dead, that Jesus does it as he wishes. For not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son. You see that? The Father has given all judgment to the Son, so that all will honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Now, um, what's going on here? He's talking about something that was really common in the culture that they they were in, and that is that sons in a family were, were apprentices of their father. So that whatever their father's trade was, they became an apprentice of the father. We had this happen in our family. Not, not, I wasn't the one uh, doing it, but Mitch Peterson was like a mentor to my son. He taught him all kinds of carpentry stuff, and you know, he still uses this. It amazes me. I hear the hammer and the saw and all that, and I know he's, he's still at it. And that's, this is what was happening in the whole culture. This is the way fathers showed love to their sons, that they, they gave them an example to follow. They showed them how to do things. I still remember one time uh, having my son change the oil in his car, and when, he, and when he, he came into the house afterwards, he said, I can't start the car. I said, what do you mean? He said, it won't start. It just turns over and over and over and over. I said, well, did you put the, did you put the uh, spark plug wires back on the right spark plugs? He said, what are you talking about? I said, that's the problem. That's the problem you got. You got to put those back in because the spark goes through the, those wires at a precise time when it's supposed to fire in the cylinder. And so we went back out and I just showed him a real simple way of always remembering where those wires go when you put things back together. That is a type of discipleship. You're, you're, you're being an example, a mentor to someone. And this is what happened. This was a typical family. Uh, this was a major change that was coming for Christ, much fuller consciousness that we are children of God. Think about this for a second. The Sermon on the Mount, Jesus in, introduces prayer to his disciples. He says, 
pray like this. And then what he does, he starts off by saying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, and so forth. So every day after that, it was a common practice in families for the children to say the Lord's Prayer. And so they call God their Father. Now this was what these men were so upset with Jesus about, because he called God his Father. Because being uh, calling someone your Father means you're like him. And uh, they thought he was just trying to uh, show his stuff and, and let them know that he was just like, that he was God, in fact. And they thought he was blaspheming. But back in Hebrews chapter 1, where he talks about why he brought the Son into the world, it says Jesus comes as the Son of God to reveal the Father to us. The way that the Father treated the Son is a revelation to us of who he is and where his heart is. Sometimes we're, we're, we're confused about this, that Jesus is the one, for example, in John 3.16, which we all are very familiar with, for God so loved the world, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Well, that is, that's saying something about God the Father and, and his love for us. This is an amazing truth. It's amazing because in the Gospel of John especially, the world is an enemy of God. The world is against God. They stand against him. And yet he says, God so loved the world. It, isn't, it wasn't just that it was so big, but it was, it was so sinful. And it was against everything that God was revealing to them. So Jesus comes as a son of God to reveal the Father to us. He, the, the son wants us to know who the Father really is. And in John 14, it show, Jesus shows us the Father. And in so doing, he shows us the Son as well. Because he he did everything that the father did, and so we say, you know, we just we do this all the time. We see guys that they have children that kind of work alongside them. We say, man, he's just like his dad, and that's what we could say about Jesus. He was just like his father. In our text today, Jesus is giving an answer to those who are accusing him of blasphemy, making himself equal with God, because he calls him father. And uh, as as all of us fathers know, our sons are equal status with us. <laughs> right? Sometimes we don't act like it, but it's the truth. How does he answer this charge? Well, he takes the, as a slice of a family life that they observed and experienced every day and used it to unveil the glorious truth of God's, of the son's relationship with the father. He was like, he was like a, uh, someone learning the trade from his father. What was, what was uh, Jesus's father, his human father? What was his trade? He was a carpenter. Actually, that was like a handyman in town. He was like he was like the guy that you called to fix a door or whatever, and so this is what he did. And Jesus was trained by him; he was mentored by his father. So that's how he answers the charge. He talks about how that the father loves him, and the father shows his love by by being an example to him, because that takes a lot of patience, doesn't it? To be an example to a son, it's, it can get so frustrating. I can remember that, that day that I just mentioned about the spark plugs. I was so irritated and i was telling him what's wrong with you you can't just put those back on wherever you want to and he says well you never told me that and he was right i never told him that i had never showed him that I never talked to him about it and uh, me being an expert mechanic uh, <laughs> i was i shouldn't have done that so one of the most common aspects of sonship in that culture was sons growing up in the trade or profession of their father they learned their trade by serving as apprentices by watching them, watching their fathers, being with their fathers all the time, and learning how to do what they did. 
I think all of us have experienced that to some level or another. And uh, this this is a manifestation of the Father's love for the Son. He actually looked forward to this, that he was going to be with his Son. And so listen to this. This is uh, in back to verse 19 in chapter 5. Therefore Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself. That is, he doesn't do anything independently, is the idea, unless it is something he sees the Father doing. He watches the Father, and he does what the Father does. And uh, the things, these things the Son also does in like manner. He does it just like his Father. But the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing, and the Father will show the greater works than these so that you will marvel. Isn't that something? So that you will marvel. You'll see what the Son develops into, and you will marvel at him. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom he wishes. Now, Jesus is the only one that that's set up. Everyone else, there, there are others. Elijah, for example, raised the dead. But it was always at the bidding of God that God commanded him. Where in this case, Jesus, as he wishes, he raises the dead because he's like his Father. Just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom he wishes. For not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son. Jesus Christ is the one who's going to judge this world. And he gave the Father gave the judgment to the Son, and he showed him fair-mindedness. He showed him exactly what righteousness was. So not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son, so that all will honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father. Uh, I think all of us understand what it's like for a man who has a son to want you to honor him and relate to him in a way that shows that you see him as as someone who's honorable. And uh, this is exactly what was happening in the life of Jesus. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word, this is Jesus, and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. Think of this. Jesus is in charge of the final judgment, and yet... He, what he's talking about is being, people being delivered by him, not being judged and cast away. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. He's the one who's going to give the signal that's going to cause the resurrection of the dead. Now, he's coming to bring judgment, and yet the striking thing is he is going to raise the dead and bring them into the kingdom of God, into the manifest kingdom of God. For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son to have life in himself, and he gave him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. The Son of Man is, a, is an expression that comes out of uh, Daniel 7, and it's a, it's a term of exaltation. Jesus is the Son of Man. Remember, Jesus said, even the Son of Man does not, what? He said, even the Son of Man did not come to be served. And yet he's the Son of Man. He is, that expression, Son of Man, is referring to the most lofty person in the human race. But he didn't come to be served. He came to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. He's going to lay down his life for us. The, the one who is the most honorable of all, this Son of God, is going to lay down his life for us. And we have eternal life because of that because we put trust in him. So that all will honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Because Jesus is the manifestation of the Father seen in a Son, in his Son. 
Uh, This is how we find out what God is really like, is the way that he treats his son. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. That is an amazing statement, isn't it? That you'll never pass, you'll never come into judgment. And we know that he's in in this place we're talking about with the most glorious person in all the world, the son whom he honors. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the son of God and those who hear will live. One of these days, he's going to hear the voice of Jesus Christ, who says, rise. And he's going to rise as a result of that. For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave the Son to have life in himself. And he gave him authority to execute judgment because he's the Son of Man. He's the lofty one. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. Isn't that something? That all who are in the tomb, the Father loves the Son so much, he's the one he chose to bring everyone out of the tombs, out of the graves, into into life. And he'll come forth, those who did the good deeds to the resurrection of life, and those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. They'll stand in judgment. I can do nothing on my own initiative, Jesus said. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will. I'm not trying to show myself off. I'm not trying to show how much power I have. I am, I am following in the steps of my Father. I am my father's apprentice. I alone testify about myself. My testimony is not, if my, my testimony is not true, if, uh, if I'm the only one who says it, but he says, my father testifies concerning me. You remember in Isaiah 53, he says, who has believed the testimony? Well, the testimony he's talking about is God's testimony, the father's testimony about his son. And he tells us all about it in Isaiah 53. 750 years, 740 years, I guess, before the crucifixion, he tells us what's going to happen 740 years before it. Well, the way Hebrews puts it, Hebrews 9, verse 26, it says, he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. That's a big big assignment, isn't it? He came, he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. He was able to deal with the sin problem that men have been thinking about for many years, and yet he comes on the scene and he does exactly what we need. He puts away sin by the sacrifice of himself. That's what, that's what he has done. In the next section, it's, it tells us that he's loved by the Father in verse 20. How is it that the Son can do whatever the Father does? It's because the Father loves the Son. You have to understand that, that he loved the Son, and that's the reason that he showed him exactly what he was to be doing. He was, a, he was the perfect example of how the Son should live. And, and this is why he brought him into the world. He wanted the world to see him. He wanted the world to see him so they could understand him, the Father. If it's true that the Father loves the Son, it's even more true that the Son loves the Father. The Father's love is displayed in continuous disclosure of the Son of, of the Father. He loves the Father. The Father's love displayed in continuous disclosure to the Son of all he does. The Son's love displayed in perfect obedience that issues in the cross. That's my son. That's the way he is. And he was, he was doing exactly what he was supposed to do. He was to embrace what his father was doing for him to train him how to live as the son of God in this world. And all of us know so many things about him because we know the whole story of, of him coming into the world and, and how, for example, in the Exodus, how he uh, went out with the people and so forth. He always acted in a way that reflected the Father perfectly. 
Now, most of us, that's what we want. We want our, we want our sons to reflect who we really are, our character. And we're hoping they don't reflect some things about our character. But uh, this is what we want. We want them to, you know, somebody to say, you know, I was talking to your son this last week. I'm really impressed with the way that, that he talks about you. That's what we want to hear. And because this is what sons are to us, and this is what the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, was to the Father. He is loved by the Father, we're told in verse 20. How is it that the Son can do whatever the Father does? It's because he humbles himself and does exactly what the Son needs to learn to do. I mean, imagine that. Imagine training someone to do what you know how to do. You have the skill to do. And we can only relate to that in the sense of our human abilities and so forth. Mitch Peterson has been a really good friend of mine for a long time. And I got to tell you, he doesn't like slowing down, does he? He doesn't like to slow down and listen to you tell him what he should be doing. Because he's, because he's done it a thousand times. So he figures he's got it, he's got it where it should be. Uh, but on the other hand, when he trains a man, he's willing to slow down because he cares for the man. And see, that's what the father was doing with the son. He wanted to show the son how he was to live, how he was to display what it is to be the living God. Because this is, you know, there would be one thing if you, if you had a son and he was a, he happened to be, you could tell after a few years, he was like a champion, a world champion baseball player. But we have here, this is the son of God. And he's, do you think he needs any training? The son of God needs any training to know how to run the universe? And that's exactly what the father does for him. He shows him exactly how he is to live and how he's to use these glorious qualities that the Father has given to him. And he's one nature with God. He's loved by the Father. And he says, uh, there's, you know, there's a little song I li- I've listened to a couple of times. It's called, I don't know why Jesus loved me, but I'm glad he did. It's the way the song goes. And uh, what the Father did for the Son is he gave him an example to follow in John 3.16. You know what John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son. And sometimes you read the New Testament, you read the life of Jesus, and you can get frustrated. Because look at the way he treats people. He's being taken advantage of. He's, it doesn't seem like he can tell the difference between a real sinner and a righteous person. That's why the Pharisees didn't like him. They didn't like the fact that he treated uh, with kindness those people who were sinners. But th- this, is, this is an amazing truth. that The Bible is clear about this, that God loves sinners. He is able to love us. He loved us before he sent his son to die for us. God so loved the world, and then he gave his only begotten son. And so he has, he has set his love upon us. And, and this, is, uh, this is our relationship with him. And so the son was loved by the father as well. And uh, in John three thirty six, he who believes in the son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the son. Now you see how he's emphasizing the son? He who does not believe in the son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him still because it takes faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants his son to be glorified. His son is the one who, is, who has been given this, uh, this assignment to save men from their sins, save women too. You know, women need salvation too. And so he saves people from their sins because he is like his father. And just like his father loved you, he loves you. He's, he is one-souled with the father, where it's described for us here in verse 21. Uh, in the Old Testament, uh, raising the dead was a prerogative that God alone had. In fact, if you remember in 2 Kings 5, it talks about Naaman. Remember Naaman? 
who was a guy that, that had a serious uh, leprosy, but he didn't want to die of this. And this little girl uh, who was from Israel, but she had t- been taken captive and she turned to be a, a helper to him. And so she started praying that God would somehow open a door for him to be able to go to Israel and for the God of Israel to heal him, to do away with his, his leprosy. And so what she does is she tells him all about it, and he goes to his king, king of Aram, and he says, is there any chance you could send me to Israel so that they could heal me, so I could be healed of this disease? Because that's the only place in the world where it's ever been testified that that's happened. And so what happens is that Naaman is sent to Israel, and the king of Aram gave him a letter saying, heal him. <laughs> well, the king got really upset. He says, who do you think I am, God? Do you think that I can kill somebody and then heal him? I'm not able to do that. But, he, but, he's, but that's exactly what he was at telling him to do. So the ultimate destiny of mankind is, is bound up with Jesus Christ. It's he who has come to invade and to destroy the barrier of death and all that separates men and women from God. It will be his voice that will reach into the grave and summon the dead into resurrection and life. In the incarnation, God condescended to be one of our hurt and creaturely disintegration. When you see him, we've all seen the movie of the crucifixion of Christ. It's so overwhelming. I remember when we went and saw it, when it first came out, and nobody would leave the theater. They just sat there stunned because we just saw the most glorious man that's ever existed who was beaten and misused and abused in every kind of way and then hung on a cross and was, was his life was taken away. But what Jesus is doing, what Jesus does, he simply loves to do the Father's will. And so the Father can trust him, and he tells him what his will is, he shows him what his will is, and he does his will. Martin Luther said, and he says, this is the key to the Christian life. Love God and do what you want. But you see, what he's talking about is, if you love God and you do what you want, you will do his will. That's what will happen. And that's exactly what happened when Naaman went to the king of Israel. The, the prophet told him to go dunk into the River Jordan. It was dirty river that a lot of dirt ran down. But he went and finally he decided, after talking to several people, he actually did it because why not try it? And he did, and he was healed. He was cleansed from the leprosy. Now, I, what I want to do is I want to show you something. It's Philippians 2, verses 9 through 11, if you'll turn there for just a second. There's a purpose clause here. And I know all of you know about purpose clauses. <laughs> a purpose clause is, in the Greek language, it's real simple because it's a word, a little word that's the key. And that is you say something, be- and you're saying because. Uh, in other words, you, you say something is true, therefore this is what you should do. That's a purpose clause. Well, that's what happens here in Philippians 2, 9 through 11. The purpose clause is found in verse 10. The little word that they use is uh, pronounced hina, H-I-N-A. It's right there. In verse 10, this is what the writer, this is Paul's book, of course. He says, wherefore, God has also, has highly exalted him. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's talking about what God has done for the Lord Jesus Christ. He has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. Why? He tells you why. In order that, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Both of things in heaven and things on the earth and things under the earth. Everything will bow to him. And that this is the second part of the purpose is so that every tongue, that includes every one of our tongues, every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Think of that for a second. 
This is what God wants you to do. This is what he wants us to do. This is why the Father sent the Son back to heaven, so that he would be high and lifted up, and so that he would be highly exalted, and he would be given a name which is above every name. Jesus' name is above every name. And uh, all of you know that the word Jesus, uh, the English word Jesus, means Jehovah's salvation, or the salvation of the Lord. That's who he was. That's what he was. That's how you define him. He is Jehovah's salvation. And so he says, this is my purpose in sending him and causing him to be lifted up and giving him a name that is above every name. He says, my purpose is that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue, get this, every tongue, take this personally. Every tongue, including your tongue, uh, should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. So what should happen among us? We should use our mouth to praise him in this way. We should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, which means he is the ultimate ruler and authority, God over all. Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This, this glorifies the Father. And it's really interesting in the pagan religions that were in existence at this time, they were constantly trying to figure out how to do away with each other. But in this case, here is the Father who wants to exalt his Son. He wants to honor his Son. Isn't that strange? That the Father wants to honor his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he wants us to be a part of that. He wants us to be involved in honoring the Son. It's the most important thing we can do. It's the most important thing you can do and I can do is to honor the Son. There's nothing as important as that. This is the wonderful part about the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel was put together. It was given to us. It was created by God himself. And God says he wants his Son to be glorified. And he wants you to glorify him in this very simple way, really. Just remember this, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And I wonder, okay, how many times do you, you confess that Jesus Christ is the glorious Son? He's Christ, Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. He wants us to confess this. You know what confess means, right? Confess means that you simply acknowledge that you believe this. You acknowledge that you believe that Jesus is is the one, is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. The Father receives glory when we acknowledge the fact that his Son is the Lord. His Son is the Lord. Now, what would you do if you wanted to save the world? Who would you send? What, what God the Father did, he sent his own Son. He sent his own Son because he had absolute confidence in his Son. He knew his Son. And so he sends him, and he says that he wants us to acknowledge him. I've tried to figure out, well, what could I do to get you to confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ as Lord so that the Father would be glorified? I guess I could just ask you to do that. Okay, yeah. It's amazing how the reputation of Jesus Christ is so battered by so many people and getting such distorted. You, you all know about the Jehovah's Witnesses translation of the Bible in John. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It says the Word was God. There's a huge book. Uh, written a grammar, Greek grammar written by uh, A.T. Robertson. And it's a Southern Baptist book. But what the Jehovah's Witnesses have done, they've used that book as the authority to say that you're not supposed to say he was God. You're supposed to say he is a God. And it's a total distortion. All you have to do is open the book and show them where he says what he says. And what he is saying is, 
that there is no definite article in Greek. There is no, uh, or indefinite article, rather. There's no indefinite article in Greek. There's only a definite article. This is the. But uh, this is what it says. There is an article there that says he is, he is the God. That's who Jesus Christ is. And the Father is glorified when we confess him as the Lord of glory. It is to the glory of God that he is the Lord. And he wants us to know that. He wants us to be aware of that, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Let's just say that together. Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. That's what it took for us when we first came to faith in Christ. We came to the place where we came to see the gospel. We heard exactly what the gospel said, and we came to believe the gospel. We believed the testimony. And the testimony is that this is who he is, and he's the only Savior. There is no other Savior. He is the only Savior, and he came into the world to find you. Isn't that amazing? That's probably one of the most difficult uh, things to, to take in and to say, you mean that he actually came into the world to find those whom he was going to die for? That's right. And he died for you. And he wants you to be related to his Father. And he's the Lord. He's the Lord of glory. And he's the Lord. And when we confess that, it says it glorifies him. That's, that's an amazing thing. I've been uh, trying to memorize a prayer that's in the Bible, in, uh, in Philippians. In the, I've been trying and trying, but there's, a, there's some little, tough little words in there, and I, keep, I still haven't perfected it yet. But what I want to do is I want to be able to say what God wants me to say. He wants me to say the truth about the gospel. He wants me to say the truth about his son. He wants me to say the truth about our life with him. And so he, he wants us to confess what is really true. And this is why uh, the writer of, he, writer of Isaiah, rather, uh, Isaiah himself said, who has believed our report? And that, the word report just means testimony. Who's believed our testimony? And the testimony he's talking about is Jesus Christ. He hadn't even come yet, 740 years before he came. But he's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ who is going to come, and he is going to be the Lord of glory. He's going to be the one who is competent enough to save us and to deliver us and to bring us into the kingdom of God. Remember Jesus talking to Nicodemus, and Nicodemus comes to him in the cover of night. What we assume happened was that he comes there at night, it's, it's dark, and uh, as they talk, he thinks that he is going to do Jesus a favor. And he says to Jesus, you know, we know that you come from God. Nobody could do what you do unless they came from God. And Jesus says this, and it sounds like a put down, but he says to him, you can't enter the kingdom of God, and you can't understand the kingdom of God until you're born again. Can you imagine that? Somebody comes and says, boy, that's a beautiful car. And you say, well, you would never know. You wouldn't know what a nice car looked like. And so here he says to him, and Nicodemus was the teacher of Israel, which whatever it does mean, it certainly means a key teacher among the Israelites. And so he was an expert on what the Bible taught. And yet Jesus tells him, until you're born again, you can't conceive of, you can't even understand the kingdom of God. And what happened, of course, was Nicodemus believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, and he was saved. He came to declare that Jesus was the Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, and God saved him. And see, it all has to do with my faith in Christ. Can I believe Christ? Can I believe the testimony about him? Can I believe his testimony about himself? And what happens is, when I do trust him, when I put my faith in him, and, put, and rest my faith completely in him, and I say, yes, Father, I believe what you say about your son. I believe that he is the king of glory. 
I believe that he is the one who's going to raise the dead on the last day. This is one of the key things he's going to do. He's going to raise all those who've passed into death, and he's going to raise them up because he is the Lord of glory, and he is able to do that. And so the, the most important thing in our life is for us to be able to tell the truth about Jesus Christ. And this is what he's called us to. This, isn't it amazing? This is all he's called us to do is just tell the truth about Jesus. Like Martin Luther said, love God and do what you want. Because if you do what you want and you're really loving God, you're going to do the right thing. And he has given us the ability. He's given his son to the ability to reveal him to his world. And now he has given us the ability to communicate the truth about his son so that people can come to know him and believe upon him and receive life indeed from him. And so uh, I, I pray that this week would be a week in which you many times, many times over, confess the truth about Jesus Christ and that the tongue, your tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. That's, what he, that's God's purpose. This is why he lifted him up so highly. It says, wherefore God also hath highly lifted and exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. He gave him a name which is above every name. That's the wonderful name, Jesus, Jesus, God's salvation, the Lord's salvation. And so I want to pray for you that that would be exactly what happens in your life this week, what I long for and I pray for. Our Father, we are so blessed and so loved by you. It amazes us. We thank you so much. Uh, Father, we pray for Linda today as she's lost somebody so close to her. We pray you'd keep your hand upon her and you would show her your love just as you did your own son. I pray that you would fill her heart with this confidence that she can rest completely in you because we can't understand these things, but we know that you are the God of all grace and you have worked in such a way that your glory is going to be reflected in the results of it. And we thank you for that. We pray, oh God, that you'd help us to be people who confess the truth about Jesus Christ. Father, teach us to, to simply confess the truth that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of the Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. To respond to this message or learn more, please visit calvarytruth.org.